Thank you. I feel like a TV presenter. Uh, kia ora e te whanaua e te karaiti, nga mihi nui, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā tātou katoa. Big welcome to everyone here, um, to anyone who is distanced, uh, well some of us are physically distanced here, but those who are um, uh, on the interweb, we are, who are joining us on the interweb, hare mai mihi mai. If you don't know me, I'm Colin Wood, and I've been away for three months on a sabbatical, which I like to think of as more of a staybatical. Um, and I've really, I've really appreciated the opportunity to rest, recharge, pray, and recreate. So thank you. Like many of you, my plans changed in August. Uh, we live at a time that's a bit confusing, isn't it? Things keep changing. We uh, think we've got things sussed, and then they morph. We change how we do things. We're growing aware that our national game of whack-a-mole with COVID is, um, is running out of steam, so we're having to change tack. And actually, every time we change levels, it's tiring and confusing and can be frustrating. And look, we'll probably face a bit more of this in the months to come. Yep, it's probably the nature of the thing. And I'm, I, I, I'm not complaining about it. I'm just sort of acknowledging it's, it's part of where we live at the moment. Um, and it's been unsettling. I was very disappointed. Linda and I were planning to go to Rarotonga for a little bit of a holiday thing, and uh, uh, that wasn't going to work out. But, you know, in the big schema of things, this is nothing. I received a... Um, there's an email, a, a newsletter that goes out published by the Baptists. Um, they sent this... Um, oh! Is the, are the screens packing us out on me? Look over there. <laughs> it's a list of 221 names of Baptist pastors who's died of COVID in um, Bangladesh, um, India, and Indonesia. And um, that kind of hit me with a bit of shock. Oh, okay, pastors, they're a bit of a sitter because they visit lots of people. And I know that in Bangladesh, they genuinely thought it was a white man's disease. Um, so there was a vaccine available, but lots of people didn't take it. Um, I wanted to pause for a moment and recognize this is going on in our world. And actually, these particular names are people who gave their lives to try and serve the good news of Jesus. So I just would like us all just to pause and think of the people we know, um, because there'll be people who know other people who've died. Just remember them. A God for lives poured out in service of your good news. We give thanks, but we also grieve. We ask you to be close to us and help us live well, grieve well, and serve others with your love. Amen. Look, just in light of this, uh, I, I recognize we'll have people with very different views about vaccinations here, are perhaps cons concerned about your freedom and your rights and hidden agendas, or perhaps with special health concerns. Um, Linda's not here today, she's working as a vaccinator. Uh, I just say, in my opinion, if you, are, if you are open to having a vaccination, now's the time. Um, don't delay, because um, it is likely that Delta will spread further. Now, um, actually, the elders have asked me to um, respond to three questions, the same three questions that other people have been uh, responding to while they've been away. 
Um, but because it's, we're Parklands, we love the Bible, I thought we'd read a little bit of the Bible first, which may be trickier for some than others. So all the people over here can read to the rest of us. <laughs> Would you join me in reading this? Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This is Paul writing to the Philippian church in his absence, and, you know, I've been absent for a while. Um, and like Paul, I'm really proud of Parklands, what I saw, because I joined in on Zoom and that kind of thing. I'm really proud of what I've seen you doing. And I wonder what working out your salvation has been looking like for the last three months. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Not one that we would use that often. And I wonder about the depth of it. If someone was to ask you, what would you respond? I find it interesting that Paul references fear and trembling. It tells you it's working out your salvation is a thing of some holy ground. Okay, three questions. Actually, I'm only going to do the first two because I ran out of time. Terrible. I'll, I'm hoping to get to the third one next week. And I love the first question is, because you, you can't see it, where are you from and what do you do? Well, where am I from? You can answer that in so many ways. I'll start with my parents, ko Ian Rauha, ko Patricia Okumatua. I'm the product of Ian and Pat Wood. You can answer it with where you were born. When I was young, I wanted to ask the question, where are you from? Answer it this way. I wanted to say, I hail from the snowy river up by Kosciuszko's side, where the hills are twice as steep and twice as rough, and the horse's hooves strike fire light from the flintstones every stride, and the man who holds his own is mad enough. Which tells you either I was really pretentious, or um, the reality was I was, in, I was born in Australia and living in New Zealand. And when people ask you where you come from, it's worse than saying you're an Aucklander. Not as bad as saying you're an Aucklander when you're in Wanaka uh, on the ski field a few weeks ago. <coughs> it was a way for a shy kid to avoid saying I was born in Australia. My dad, a Christchurch Sumner boy, who studied engineering at Canterbury and loved the mountains and climbing, met Pat Sullivan in Christchurch. Saw her at the university, but wasn't really that interested until he saw her climbing up at Castle Rock, and then it was all on. They married in Australia, and that's where I and my two brothers were born. And we moved to Christchurch about the age seven. I still vividly remember the plane landing in Christchurch, and that first night in a motel room, with remember those, those heaters that had fake flames, you know, the plastic thing? that I'd never seen one before. Actually, I don't think I'd been cold before. <laughs> I have very few memories of Australia. New Zealand and Christchurch is where I grew up. And I have lived in some other countries, but... Um, New Zealand, Christchurch, it is my land, my Turanga Wai Wai Nākau. You can call it New Zealand or Aotearoa, I don't mind. I am from here. But the question, where are you from, has a Christchurch variation, doesn't it? Anyone know what it is? What do they ask in Christchurch? 
What's that? I, I'm so surprised you asked. Um, my dad had a problem with asthma, so he bought a house up, we bought a house up on the uh, Port Hills, very close to the sign of the Takahi. So I walked down the hill to go to um, Kashmir Primary, and I rode down the hill to go to Kashmir High, and at the end of the day, the journey back was considerably slower and more painful. My dad loved the mountains and uh, loved, so we skied and climbed and tramped, and that was my life was punctuated by that. One more answer to the question, where are you from and what do you do? Um, where are you from? I don't come from a family that described themselves as Christian. So in church, for a minister, I'm a little bit like an immigrant. I'm a first-generation Christian. That means there's things that happen in church I don't quite get. I didn't have the um, experience that many here did of a slow, steady soaking of faith in your family. I came in from outside, and I have to say it was a pretty stop-start, messy affair for me. It took me a long time to figure out what Christians were like, what I was supposed to do in church. I made many, uh, yes, that was always a tricky thing. Let's move on to what do I do? Well, there's a tricky thing. You've heard of, um, oh, that's Ian and Pat. You've heard of Tony Stark, Iron Man, haven't you? Well, my job description is lead pastor, which I think of as a slower, thicker, heavier version of Iron Man. <laughs> well, not quite. I'm a Baptist minister, which is the strangest of things, because the Baptists believe that anybody who is ministering to someone else is being a minister at that time. When you are pastoral to someone else, you are being a pastor at that time. So Baptist ministers kind of almost an, an oxymoron Anyone here can minister because we want to take really seriously the priesthood of all believers. If you love Jesus and are following Jesus, you are a priest and you fulfill that role with others in how you connect with them as much as I can. So I am a follower of Jesus. That's what I do. But we also believe that God calls people to things. And so in Baptist churches, and in this one five years ago, but more than five years ago, Parkland's Baptist was looking round for someone and they prayerfully considered and thought that God was calling me and Linda to a role here. And we carefully considered and decided, yep, we're in. Oh, let's go back. For those who can see it, can we read it again? Therefore, my dear friends... Just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I love the working out with fear and trembling. Paul doesn't say you've got it all sussed, just kick back and do what you've been doing. He says there's work, there's mahi to do. He says, and the fear and trembling, I think, I used to think that's because we're supposed to be scared of God, you know, that holy awe thing. Um, actually, I think it's because it's a holy task, because we're holy people. And when you're on holy ground, there is room for fear and trembling. I remember someone saying that if you stopped with the fear and trembling, that wouldn't be good news. 
hey guys, you've got a job to work out your salvation. You've got this task. But the good news kicks in when Paul writes, for it is God who works in you to will and to act. God is working in you. So work out your salvation, but God is already in you working. It's not a solo job. In fact, it's a group job. The language that Paul uses here, English is not very helpful for us. It's plural. He's not saying you individual. He's saying y'all, you all work out your salvation. But I love that it's God who works in us. It's a joint task. God is at work in me and you with a good purpose to fulfill. And I think that's good news. Which brings me to the second question. What gets you excited and what are the challenges? My first answer to this question, the quick one that comes off for me is, I love seeing people's lives change and transform. I love seeing them thrive and flourish. I love that. There was, I love to see them being who God is calling them to be. Anyone watch the old TV program of the A-Team? Yeah, I figure they'd be an age detector. Anybody watch the movie The A-Team? Yeah, well, a lot of people haven't. I'm, I'm mildly surprised. There's a line that the, um, the head guy says, I love it when a plan comes together. I, well, I love it when I see God's plans coming together. God's people working, God's dreams in action. But I sat with that as my first response, and I came to realize that actually that's a byproduct, the transformation of lives. I'm excited about it, but what it actually means is I'm excited about God. God, the one who loves us. The God revealed in Jesus, the God revealed in the Bible, who loves us, a God of grace and mercy, who thinks we are to die for and gave his life for and gives still and ain't none of us deserve it. It's a gift. I love Jesus. Slightly embarrassing story, which I don't love to tell. When I was a young adult in my 20s in Wellington, I answered the phone one day. You'll understand why I don't like to tell a story. Um, and uh, the woman on the other end of the phone started reading me a very racy portion from a book that clearly was very racy. Um, and I sort of listened for a bit and I said, oh, uh, I don't know who you think you're talking to, but I'm going to hang up now. And I hung up. And then this woman rang back and propositioned me. She'd seen me and she fancied me and she thought we should get it on. And I was completely unprepared for this. Um, and I said, um, I'm sorry, I love to Jesus too much to do that. And then I was absolutely aghast that I had said that because I thought that's just so kind of uncool. Um, and, um, and we had a tiny bit more of a conversation and you know, it finished, and uh, needless to say, I, I didn't sleep much that night. It was like, what do I, it was, um, well, actually, yeah, I love Jesus. That's the thing that gets me excited, is a God who loves us. We've been, um, in the last three months, the church has been asking questions about vision and thinking about task involved in that? What do we look like? And, and when you think about church, in fact, the first question that I was sent three months ago was, I started with, what is church? 
And so I was thinking and reading about that. Um, there's a guy, Tim Sorens, an author, who says, um, whenever you're looking at these questions like this, I don't know if you can see over here, there's a circle with Y in it. My goodness, this is techie. I, I didn't test this. Um, is the circle with Y in it? That's the first question we ask, and then we ask how, and then you ask what. And he said, when people are doing vision things, we often put the why in the middle as church. And he said, that's a bit of a mistake, because actually, the why is God and God's love. In fact, he says what we, um, he suggests we should do, we should call it God's dream. God has a dream of what God wants to see happen. God dreams of people who are loved and living in that love, of a world of rightness, of shalom, of tuah, of saving and redeeming. And yes, that includes saving souls, but it's more than that because God's kingdom is not only about spiritual stuff. And he's been enacting it, first of all, by sending his son to be present as one of us. And God moves now on this world through the move of his Holy Spirit. So this is the how. How is God heading towards this dream? It is by the Holy Spirit at work in us and in the world. And the what? Well, church is the result of that. Now, more than the result, we're also, you know, the message is the medium kind of stuff. We're also supposed to be a foretaste. We are the people who are learning how much God loves us. Responding to God's love. Church is the product, the people, not the service, is the product of God's dream and a means of it. And if you want to know what God's dream looks like, well, you can run lots of places. Um, I still think that the moment when Jesus stands up in the synagogue in Luke 4 and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Those are hints as to what God's dreams are. You could go further, you could read bits from Revelation about every tribe and nation, about a place and time when there is no separation between God and people. When all things are reconciled, these are God's dreams. What God plans to bring about, and we get invited into that, which I think is awesome, and yeah, I find that kind of exciting. The same author has an interesting take on what he says church has typically looked like. I quite like this. I keep wanting to gesture out at my blue screen. We'll just edit this and throw it in afterwards, shall we? Um, <laughs> he says that means historically, so when you walk through church history, he says he thinks church looks like this. It is a community of people just like we're gathered now, but representing relationships, joining in God's dreams. So that is joining in the stuff that the Holy Spirit is doing on the earth in a particular place with their everyday lives. In a particular place, that's come to be more important for us since lockdown, hasn't it? Because typically we're used to cutting and choosing where we go, but suddenly we couldn't. And we are, as humans, only ever present in one place at one time. Someone goes on to say, actually, that's kind of not what you see in the Western church on the whole. He's, he's a bit harsh. He says, sometimes it looks like church is a bunch of individual consumers pursuing their cultural dreams, like the American dream of happiness and freedom and that kind of stuff, um, where it suits them. 
reinforced with the Sunday event, which is a bit harsh, and there is no excitement in that at all for me. For me, one of the strongest pictures of this was a woman called Afan. Now, I've told you about her once before, but it's worth saying. Linda and I were in Hong Kong. I had to go away on a holiday. Sorry, I had to go away and do a job for a couple of weeks. And so Linda arranged to stay in a house uh, with some, uh, and saw a drug addict come into this house. Um, I got to meet her too the weekend before I went away. This lady, Afan, who was probably 40, which we thought was really old back then. Um, and... But she looked like a 70-year-old cancer victim, all skin and bone. She'd been taking heroin. Um, if you do that a lot, then you tend not to put a lot of food in you because all your money goes on the drug. Um, and it was this really clear image. She was likely to die soon. Um, here. And she lived in this rehab house for, um, with Linda and a bunch of others for the weeks I was away during the course, and we came back, and we'd go back and visit, and over the space of a year, we saw her life completely change. We saw her come to life. She was cheerful. She moved from darkness to light, from death to life. She moved from being emaciated and thin to actually probably she could have afforded to lose a little bit of weight, okay? But she was full of life, and we thought this was marvelous, and so Linda and I gave in our well-paying jobs and worked as volunteers in these houses for drug addicts. For us, it was a picture of God's dreams, people coming to life, getting off a pathway of death into a pathway of life. We had a lot of time together with these guys, and the thing about time together is there's not a lot of pretending. You can hold together a good face for a Sunday gathering like this. Yep, but actually in the people you live, you can't, they see you for who you are. We've had um, uh, our daughter's mother-in-law staying with us for the past three months. She knows who we are, poor thing. That's how it is. And what did we do? Well, we prayed for people, we got them off, we helped them come off drugs, we talked a lot about God's dreams. We argued, we laughed, we played Uno, cooked, ate and lived, and God really did change lives. I'm still amazed by it. One of the things that was a bugbear to me, I ended up running one of these houses. I never led a single one of our guys to Jesus. I didn't have to. Everybody else was so keen to. It turns out the best person to help a recovering drug addict is another recovering drug addict. We weren't the great white saviors. It turns out that my addictions and failures aren't don't involve sticking a needle in my arm, but I still have failures. I'm no better. So my first answer is still there. I love seeing lives transformed, moving from death to life, from darkness to light. And in fact, it's probably why I ended up as a Baptist minister, because we came back to New Zealand, I worked with computers and made um, some company uh, a lot of money um, but it was really unsatisfying because the year before we'd been changing lives. And some of those lives, they're still changed. It's so cool. So I started training, and now I'm a Baptist minister. Does God do this in churches? Yes. It's a lot slower. It's less dramatic. It's a bit harder because we don't have so much life in common. We can put up good faces. When I look back, I remember how God answered prayers and how everyone was cared for. 
I still see people that it's clear that God is calling them. And it's still the case that um, I'm not the great white saviour. Actually, it's a community with different people making a difference. I think church done well is incredibly attractive and redemptive. I'm excited about that. But it mentions challenges. There are some challenges. I get excited about God and what God is doing, but I trip over myself. In the West, we are all about what we achieve and do. It's an example. You know that um, the greatest commandment from Mark 12, 29 to 31. A rich man has come to Je- oh, sorry, uh, uh, sorry, a religious leader has come to Jesus and asked him, what's the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus replied, the most important one, answers Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. This is brilliant. But commandments about things that we do, they're tasks, And I recognize that for me, and part of my musings when I was away, saying, that's not all of it. So I've come to believe that there are five crucial loves. Here we go. And I have, there are five, well, this is a, we'll call it an honorary finger. There are five appendages on your um, hand. This is how I remember them. The first and most important love is that we are loved. It's not about what we do. It's that God loves us deeply. You are loved. You are beloved. You don't have to do anything for this. It is how God is. You are loved. You can't turn it off. The greatest commandment doesn't mention that, but in 1 John it does. God is the fiber of love. If you want a hint of this, if you're married and your partner loves you, do you ever wonder why? There's a hint of that, a hint of God's love. They love you because they know you, despite the fact that they know you. If you are a parent, you know this. You look at your kids and you love them. I don't know about you, I loved seeing um, kids wandering around during worship. That was, that's glorious. And love is scary because your kids might break your heart, but you will still love them. So while Matthew, uh, Jesus in Matthew gives this commandment in 1 John, John is pretty explicit. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes with God. It starts with God. Anyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then it says, dear friends... Since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So the first love is not what we do. It is what God does. We are loved. In the end, G.K. Chesterton said, it all comes down to affection. Now, 
If you're like me, yes, yeah, so what? Um, well, my so what in sabbatical involved trying to deal with that in prayer. And the strangest thing for me, um, I went to Sister Evelyn House up in Scarborough, I'd recommend, great place to go. Um, they have a practice there, for three times a day they have a, a, you could call it a service, I don't think that's how I'd call it. They'd pray a few words and then you'd spend 20 minutes in silence. When's the last time you tried did that? 20 minutes just trying to be present with God. You don't have to say anything. God might say something. You don't have to do anything. You're just, God, I'm being with you. I found it really helpful, and I thought, great, I'm going to do this every day. Eh. I'm trying to do something like this every day because I've understood I trip over myself. Sometimes I'm so full with other, this other stuff, I forget the most important thing. I think the church is the motley collection of people who are learning more and more that they are deeply loved and nothing can separate us from that love. So let's just try this for a moment. If you want a practical thing to try longer term, try five minutes a day. Sitting still, close your Bible, don't read anything, no TV, cell phone away, this is sounding like hell already, I know. Just sit and imagine that God is with you Loving you. That might be a bit hard. It is hard. It is hard work. In fact, mentally, I think I found myself like a moth in the bathtub. It's just there's so much going on there. I'm going to do the other five loves. So the first one is loved by God. You guess the second one. In response, we love God back, right? That's the love of the Lord God. What's the third one? Loving others. Oh, sorry, I have to have a hand right this one. It could be rude. Um, the fourth one is loving ourselves. Okay? And you'll notice there's one finger spare. And for this one, I'm calling it loving presence. Because again, we can make those, first, those middle three tasks but there's something about being loving, lovingly present the way Jesus was on earth. So I do want to try just a very short amount of time, a minute of sitting quietly, eyes shut, or if you like, there's an image up on that screen, but not over here. <laughs> um, I'd like you to imagine that you're part of the prodigal son's story. You've been away, you've been isolated and alone, it hasn't been that flash, and you come home and remember God, the Father throws a party for you. He's just thrilled to be present in with you. And I want you to imagine there's a quiet moment in that story with the party going on, and you're suddenly in the presence of the Father who loves you. And um, in the... Um, in the Rembrandt, you've got the Father going, uh, you can imagine it any way you like. So I'd just like you to do that for um, a minute, and then I'll come back and, um, look, I'll, I'll be wrapping up what I've been doing. Okay. So, um, Holy Spirit, you invite, we invite you here now. We long to become more aware of your love for us. We don't always know what to do with it. We invite you to be present with us now as we sit with you.
how it was a minute. Now, if nothing went on for you there, that's fine. You just sat in the presence of God. If something went on, I'm kind of pleased. I love God. I love God seeing God work amongst us, calling us to be fully human and fully loved. And I think that's our task as a church. And I think it's an incredibly attractive task. Albeit that it's awkward that seeing who people really are requires us, we bump against each other, we hurt each other, and we grow from it. In my sabbatical, some of my sabbatical, I spent time asking people how they have been doing discipleship. And I'm planning to report back some of that next week. In the last three months, we've been working, um, the elders have been working, and the church has been working on uh, a kind of draft visionary statement we exist to glorify God through service, spiritual formation, and discipleship in the context of family life, as the current draft. I want to suggest one, um, one tweak, or I want you to think about if this works. When the church is not certain about what it's doing, it tends to, we have to define it, and we find language for it, which is a good thing. And they did this in the 1600s, when um, the England was in a civil war, and essentially what England is trying to do is recruit the Scottish to come and join on their side. Yep. So they have this big conclave, they, they try and figure things out, and um, the end result was a thing called the Westminster Confession. Sound familiar to anyone? And they summarize in it, they say, um, this statement, in it, in it, the chief, what is, the question is, what is the chief end of man? So here you are, ask me, what is the chief end of man? Excellent. They said, the chief end of man is to glorify God. Sounds awfully like our vision statement, doesn't it? And enjoy him forever. Just this moment of you are loved, this is not all about what you do. For me, I, I wish I knew his name running around. It was a joy to watch didn't have to do anything. He was doing all sorts of random things. I wonder if that's how God looks at us. There's something of that in this, to enjoy him forever. Um, enjoy God forever. Forgive the gender language of the thing. We're going to read this one more time, and uh, if I can have the team up. And I'll just explain a tiny bit more about why this verse is important. If they can come up now. Two observations. I've told you this verse is not you, your individual salvation. It's y'all's salvation. So it's a collective thing. The second observation, if you really are wondering about the fear and trembling, you have to read just before it. Here's what it talks about before that. It describes how Jesus, though he had great power, surrendered it to serve others. And it leads him to being on a cross in a and then in a throne on heaven. So I'm just going to read it. And then if you could join me in reading this. So it talks about Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. At that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. And if you can see it, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. We're going to sing how great you are. The, the screen will come back magically on the side here. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Um, I would pray God be present in us as we work out our salvation. Work amongst us to will and to act to fulfill your good purpose. For you are good. Thanks. Thanks.